It's time for another journey through the golden history of Hollywood and another podcast from WarnerArchive.com. I'm George Feltenstein, and I'm proud to be your host for this podcast. Today's show is all about a 1938 motion picture that stars not one, but two wonderful screen talents, Joan Crawford and Margaret Sullivan. These two leading ladies shared the screen under the direction of Frank Borzaghi for the 1938 film The Shining Hour. The Shining Hour is making its DVD debut through WarnerArchive.com, where it can be purchased or electronically downloaded. To promote the motion picture at the time of its release, Miss Crawford made an appearance on MGM's own radio show. It was called Good News of 1938, and it was broadcast every Thursday night on NBC from 1937 to 1940. We're going to be playing you an excerpt from the 1938 broadcast that was specifically dedicated to the promotion of the theatrical release. Miss Crawford recreates her original role as done on the screen, and anytime Miss Crawford appeared on the radio, it was always a big event for MGM, her home studio, and her fans all over the country. So let's sit back and relax, listen to this excerpt from Good News of 1938, and as Joan Crawford recreates her original screen role, now available for purchase on DVD and electronic download at warnerarchive.com. Maxwell House Coffee presents Good News of 1939. The makers of Maxwell House Coffee welcome you to another star-studded hour of entertainment from the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Studios in Hollywood. Tonight's stars, Joan Crawford, Margaret Sullivan, Melvin Douglas, Robert Young, Tony Martin, Fanny Bryce, Hanley Stafford, Frank Morgan, and Meredith Wilson, who starts our program off with the new hit, The Bumpy Road to Love. Bump, 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 bump,
Here's your host for the evening, Robert Young. Thank you, Dad. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is now my pleasure to introduce a very good friend of mine, a star from our neighbor studio, 20th Century Fox, Tony Martin. Hello, Bob. Nice to see you again. It's our pleasure to have you with us, Tony. Say, Bob, do you mind if I make a phone call? Not at all. Rather important, my broker. Go right ahead. You're right Thank ahead. you. Trinity, uh, 4512, please. Everybody's laughing. Hello? Is this high boy, high boy, high boy, and high boy? Let me talk to Mr. Lohman, please. A ringer. Hello, Chuck. This is Chick. My old college nickname, Bob. Sure, they used to call me Drip. <laughs> Say, uh, Chuck, how's my stock? Up an eighth? Or oh, down an eighth? Is that good? Sheep of Wall Street. <laughs> Heck, Chuck. I'll be stuck for Jack if you don't hock that stock. How about a check for check, Chuck? Quiet. <laughs> okay, Chuck, I'll call you Buck. Kaboo. Kaboo? Oh, well, I... Uh, I beg your pardon. Are you Mr. Martin? And what kind of talk is that? Well, you see, uh, I'm the leader. Oh, yes. Glad to meet her. Hey, what's going on here? Uh, Bob, do you mind if I make a call? Oh, no, Meredith, not at all. Hey, got me. <laughs> Hello, uh, Trinity 4512, please. That's my broker. Oh, the same fella takes from both of you. Hello, uh, Ted. <laughs> this is Med. Uh, how's the market? Pretty dead? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Ted, I'll call you in the morning. Uh, hangs up. <laughs> oh, you read the sound effects in... Wilson, what's all this talk about stock market anyway? Well, uh, I own a Liberty Bond on margin. Small fry? Yeah. Yeah. And now me, you see, you, you know, I'm on a cigarette program, so naturally I like to support the chair... No, 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 no. Can't do it. Oh, not one little plug? Not positively not. Not positively not. <laughs> That's everything. All right. I was just going to say that I own some small oil shares. Shasta Oil Company. I'll probably be a millionaire in a couple of weeks. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. You see, Bob? <laughs> Twins. <laughs> One of the wells brings in 8,000 barrels a day. I never heard of it. Never heard of the Shasta Fields? Why, Bob. He got it in the dog. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, Tony Martin sings one of the most popular songs of the day, My Reverie. Without you, 
night in the icebox. Oh, yes. Well, I'll tell him to... Oh, wait a minute. Here he is now. Phone call for you, Frank. Oh, I can't take it, Bob. I'm in a state of nervous prostration. Besides, I have a cold. I couldn't talk to the President of the United States now. Just hang up. It's I... your wife. Oh, that's different. Hello? Yes, I took the quinine. Yes, I took the bromo. Yes, I took the bus. <clears throat> well, I'll be all right. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Goodbye, dear. Got a cold, huh? Uh, yes. I... Did, uh, did my wife say anything to you about last night? No. <laughs> what an adventure. <laughs> Bob, have you ever been called upon to defend your home, your loved ones, against the horde of desperados from the underworld? You did that, Frank? Bob, at 2.35 o'clock this morning, burglars broke into my house. Really? How much did they lose? There's no... <laughs> this is no time for jokes, my boy. Better ones than that, I hope, too. <clears throat> my mistake. It's long been part of my health regime to take a cold shower at 2.30 every morning, if there's any hot water. Yes. Yeah. I... Following this custom, I had just emerged from the shower and was toweling myself briskly when I felt a strange tingling sensation at the base of my spine. You sensed the burglars? No, I backed into a radiator. <laughs> Naturally, this sharpened my alertness, and a few seconds later, I heard the bathroom door open stealthily. I looked up, and there stood a monstrous plug ugly, armed to the teeth, with a mask on his face. And you were stark naked? He covered me with a revolver. Were you scared, Frank? My boy, the word fear is not in the Morgan lexicon. Mm. You know our motto, cherchez la femme. And don't shoot till you see the whites of their eggs. Eggs. With the courage 
of a lion, I sprang at the gorilla like a tiger, and I soon had him buffaloed. What a circus. Clown. I, uh... I seized the fellow by the throat, wrested his gun away, and floored him with a single punch. A hero. You bet. I thought I had disposed of the criminals, but fearing for my wife's safety, I rushed to her room only to discover four villainous bums surrounding her. More burglars? No, my wife's friends. (laughs) Fine time for a card game. Then I heard a crash below in the billiard room. That was your cue. Where did you hide? Behind the eight ball. No, I tore down the stairs, tore into the billiard room, and tore up my script. That was last week's script. Yes, if I'd seen this one, I'd have torn it up, too. Well, what about the Desperados? All gone? Far from it. The room was full of armed men. How many? Well, it was no time to take a census. There must have been at least 16, but quickly recalling the jiu-jitsu I'd learned during my years in the Orient, I crouched and waited for them to make the first move. Suddenly, the leader yawned. Yawned? Yes. As his mouth opened, I heard the golden knock of opportunity. Come in. Oh, pardon me. Uh, I thought this was the waiting room. Mm, one of the Crosby mob. <laughs> Where was I? Uh, you had the leader yawning. Me too. Vagrant. When the gangster yawned, I rammed a pu- pool cue in his... <laughs> I rammed a pool cue in his mouth. And the fight was on. I banked the leader into the side pocket, played a combination off of two small thugs, and ran eight before I quit. Oh, no. Now, why should an escape maniac write my material? <laughs> Did you, uh, mop up the burglars? It was a massacre. You know the old saying, his strength was the strength of ten, because his heart was pure. I guess that explodes that. Yes. Well, I laid them all out cold, the whole 25 of them, and rushed into the street to blow my police whistle. Inside of five Frank, minutes... Frank, you're the, still naked. You're crazy. This is a sports outfit. <laughs> the police arrived in ten minutes, decorated me for bravery, and took the crooks away, including my wife's friends. What a night. It certainly was. Uh, how did you catch the cold, Frank? My dear fellow, evidently you don't retain well. No. From the time I sighted the first burglar to 2.35 a.m., I was engaged in hand-to-hand conflict with desperate villains for two hours. And right up to the time when I trussed up the 37th villain and bundled him into the patrol wagon, I was clad only in my birthday suit. Happy birthday. Merry Christmas. Same to you. Thank you. Well, Bob, I'd better be going. I've got to see. I was just wait going... A wait a minute, you what? nudist. What? Well, what's the matter? What about the icebox? Oh, it's a wonderful invention. When you... Oh, you... Did, uh, did my wife say anything? No, no, no. She didn't say anything. She just told me you spent the night in the icebox. Uh, I spent the night... Oh, I was at the icebox. Oh. <laughs> what a wife. I've got, to, I've got to go right home and tell her now, a few come things. Here, come I'm... here, come here, come here. What about the icebox? Uh, uh, you, I mean the icebox. Yeah. Yes. Well, it was a very unfortunate thing. As soon as I discovered the burglar in the house, I dashed the icebox to get my revolver. Man keeps his rod with a fish, sure. Well, I yanked open the heavy door, reached for my arsenal, and just then I slipped on a banana peel. I fell forward and the door swung shut behind me. I was trapped. Uh-huh. Imagine my distress. A house full of desperados. And there I was, locked in the icebox with 300 bottles of beer. Oh, I was... It was terrible. No way out. Worse than that, no bottle openers. I, uh, I almost died of thirst till I was released. Thanks, but there's yeah. just one thing. What was your gun doing in the icebox? I've been waiting for you to ask me that, sneak. 
All right, I'll ask you again. What was your gun doing in the icebox? Well, it's an air gun, and I always keep it in the Frigidaire, and you can send that to Ripley. So long. I've got a... Oh, Tony. Yeah, Bob? Tony, it's great to have you here, and to let our Maxwell House friends hear you sing. Now, uh, may I ask you one thing? All right, I'll be glad to answer you, Bob. As you know, Ted Pearson asks everybody what they think about the new Maxwell House coffee. Now, what's your opinion? Well, Bob, I'm, I'm no expert, but it tastes better to me. It seems to have a lot more body, too. I, just the other day, I was lunching at the commissary, and Mrs. Edwards said that since the new Maxwell House coffee came out, more people are drinking coffee now than ever before. Ah, uh, thank you, Tony. And, friends, it's really amazing the way people are going for the new Maxwell House. It's all due, we believe, to these three reasons. The new blend, the radiant roast process, and super vacuum packing. Now, you can readily appreciate the importance of the improvement in the blend. It took 12 coffee blending experts eight months before they found a way to enrich Joel Cheek's original secret blend. But you'll taste the difference. It's richer, smoother, mellower, with a wealth of cheery stimulation in every cup. And you'll certainly appreciate the remarkable radiant roast process, which by roasting each bean evenly all the way through, brings out more of the true coffee flavor. There's no weak coffee due to under-roasting, no bitter coffee due to parching. But just as important, Maxwell House is packed fresh and fragrant from the ovens in the famous blue super vacuum can. It comes to you not just days fresh, but roaster fresh. So tomorrow, why don't you ask your grocer for a pound of Maxwell House coffee? At today's low prices, you'll find that now's the time to make friends with Maxwell House. Richard Rogers and Lorenz Hart, those famous tunesmiths, made an important contribution to the musical world when they wrote Lover from the picture Love Me Tonight, which Meredith presents with his orchestra and the singing ensemble.
I now introduce one of Los Angeles' most prominent citizens and churchmen, Joseph Scott. It is a genuine privilege to be permitted to present to you Louis B. Mayer, not as a great executive and leader in the motion picture industry, which he certainly is, but as an outstanding citizen of most benevolent spirit, a gentleman whose heart pulses with true understanding a very real American, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, Joe. <clears throat> and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, I want to tell you the story of a motion picture, the story of Boys Town. Back in 1936, one of our producers, John W. Considine, Jr., told us of a newspaper article he had read about Father Flanagan. It has always been our policy to seek out story material based upon the lives of great men, stories of achievement, of industry, and patriotism. And in this story of this kindly priest and his home for friendless boys was seen the possibility for a great inspirational picture. Later, this producer and a writer were dispatched to Omaha so they might see at first-hand Boys Town. Father Flanagan was enthused with the idea of making a motion picture of Boys Town. He saw in this motion picture an opportunity for recognition he had dreamed of but never hoped to realize, to bring the story of Boys Town to the peoples of all the world. In securing Father Flanagan's agreement to make this picture, utilizing his own life story, his work and the facilities of the institution he had built up, there was no thought of profit. Father Flanagan's sole interest was in bringing his message before the greatest number of people. After the picture was made, as fine as it was, it was not even remotely imagined that while it would attract tremendous interest in Father Flanagan's Boys Town, it might serve to diminish rather than increase the public donations through which this good work is carried on. In the writing and in the filming of Boys Town, something happened that was unforeseen. If you'll remember the picture, it presented Father Flanagan as rather a financial wizard. He got himself out of a half a dozen tight financial scrapes, and at the end, all troubles seemed to be over. Boys Town was solvent, seemed rich. Father Flanagan's home at Boys Town had been made possible only through the contributions of the American people. Boys Town can only exist through the interest and the support of the public. This was true of yesterday and of today, and will be true tomorrow and the years to come. Tonight, we are grateful for the privilege of presenting Father Flanagan again to all of our friends in the Maxwell House radio audience. 
so that he may tell in his own words the needs of Boys Town today, Father Flanagan. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And all that you have said is so very, very true. The motion picture of Boys Town has met with every expectation that we had for it. It has brought our work to the consciousness of the people of America and of all the world. We do have a great problem at Boys Town, and I know that you will be concerned with it as I am concerned. In 1937, it was necessary for us to deny admittance to Boys Town to 763 worthy boys. Again this year, we will probably have to turn away twice that number because when Boys Town was shown on the screen, it increased our applications, but as it increased the attention of the boys, the picture decreased our contributions for the very reason that Mr. Mayor explained to you. Boys Town belongs to all people everywhere. They have built it, they have carried it on from year to year. And it will only be through the contributions of our friends that we will be able to continue. We are able to maintain a boy, to educate him, to clothe him and to feed him for an entire year for $180. Our doors are open to any race, any creed, and any color at any time. I am glad to again be in Los Angeles and to visit with you, Mr. Mayor, and wish to thank you again for this opportunity to tell the American people of Boys Town's needs. And Father Flanagan, we consider it a real privilege to be able to participate in this fine cause. But your troubles, I am afraid, will not be entirely over with the increased donations we hope Boys Town will receive. Because I am asking our President Nicholas M. Skink to recommend to the Board of Directors of our corporation to commemorate our pride and appreciation of our association, my dear Father Flanagan, that we be permitted to erect at Boys Town a suitable building that we will mutually agree upon so that you will have more boys to take care of and we know the public support you have always enjoyed will be even greater in the future to meet your growing needs. People gifted with a taste for fine things truly appreciate the efforts of those who create them. When you see a good play, read a good book, enjoy a fine movie like The Great Waltz, you pay tribute to those who created it. We pay tribute also to genius in other fields. Such a genius is Joel Cheek, who pioneered in the art of coffee blending. It was his skill that developed the famous Maxwell House blend, which has given so much pleasure to so many millions. Well, as a mark of respect, we dedicate tonight's program to him. So won't you all join us now in our Maxwell House moment of relaxation with a steaming, fragrant cup of Maxwell House coffee? and the music of Meredith Wilson. 
We now pause briefly for station identification. KFI Los Angeles. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen, Fanny Bryce, Baby Snooks. Tonight, Daddy, played by Hanley Stafford, is a little nervous. His boss is coming to dinner for the first time, and Daddy doesn't want anything to go wrong. Take it away. Hmm. Table looks fine. Now, where are the cigars? Oh, here. Mm-hmm. I guess he'll fall for this layout, all right. Hello, Daddy. Oh, hello, Snooks. Oh, uh, let's have a look at you. Why did I have to put on my new dress, Daddy? Because my boss is coming for dinner. Why? Well, uh, well, we don't have guests very often, and it's good to make social contacts and fraternize with intellectual people. My boss is a very smart man, and I like to listen to his conversation. You understand? Uh-huh. You're trying to get a raise. <laughs> Nothing of the kind, and I don't want you making any cracks when he gets here either. I won't, Daddy. Above all, don't say anything about his hair. Why? Just don't, that's all. What's the matter with his hair? Nothing. I'm just warning you not to make any remarks about it. All right. And listen, Snooks. You're not to come into the dining room while we're having dinner. Not even if my boss asks you to. Why? Never mind why. All I want you to do is greet Mr. Gordon and then run upstairs and play. All right. And now we'd better have a little rehearsal. I'll be Mr. Gordon. Who's he? My boss. I'll be my boss. Huh? I said I'm Mr. Gordon. No, you ain't. You're my daddy. We're just pretending. I want to make sure you'll behave nicely when Mr. Gordon comes. Now, I'm Mr. Gordon, and I'm coming in. <coughs> oh, good evening, Snooks. Hello, daddy. No, no. Say good evening to Mr. Gordon. Where is he? He's not here yet. Then why should I say good evening to him? You're not saying it to him, you're saying it to me. Right now, I'm Mr. Gordon, even though I'm still your daddy. And while Mr. Gordon isn't even here yet, you can say good evening to him because you're really saying it to me. And don't ask me if I feel all right. Why? Now, don't you start to irritate me, Snooks. And another thing, in case Mr. Gordon asks you to come into dinner, I want you to say no thanks. I've already eaten. Now, let's try it. All right. Now, here we go. Where are we going? Nowhere! Ah. Now, let's try it. Oh, good evening, Snooks. No, thank you. I've already eaten. Say good evening first. Why? Because you've got to greet him. Now, let's try it again. <coughs> good evening, Snooks. Good evening, Mr. Gordon. Fine. Oh, uh, Snooks, <laughs> will you come in and eat with us? Uh-huh. No, I told you to say you'd already eaten. I'm still hungry. Just the same, you've got to say I've already eaten. Uh-huh. Say I've already eaten. Good evening, Snooks. Will you eat with us? Daddy's already eating. What? But I'm hungry. No, no, no. Now, please, please, Snooks. I, I don't want to lose my temper with you. When he asked you to come in and eat, just... Oh, there he is now. Oh, remember, Snooks. All right. Oh, I've come right in, Mr. Gordon. Come right in, Mr. Gordon. Yeah. Nice place to uh, have you. Oh, is this baby Snooks? Yes, sir, Mr. Gordon. Uh, shake hands with Mr. Gordon, Snooks. Hello. What a cute child. Uh, 
Uh, dinner's already. Uh, shall we go in? Okay. Uh, oh, Snooks, will you have a bite with us? Huh? Snooks. I say, will you have a bite with us? No, thanks. I've already bitten. <laughs> well, uh, run along upstairs and play, Snooks. Uh, this way, Mr. Gordon. Buddy. Yes? Why did you tell me not to say anything about his hair? What's that? He ain't got any. <laughs> well, you, you think that's funny, young lady? Uh-huh. He'll look like my Uncle Louie. <laughs> oh. Oh, uh, pay no attention to her, Mr. Gordon. Uh, she's a great little clown. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you yelling about? I don't know. Well, let her come in and sit with us while we eat, Higgins. Oh, no, she has to, uh, uh, she has to do her homework. Uh, don't you, Snooksy? No, I don't. Oh, all right, come on. Uh, you sit here, Mr. Gordon, and Snooks, you sit by me. No, I don't want to. Well, why not? I want to sit near Mr. Gordon and watch him do some tricks. Tricks? What tricks? I wish I was dead. <laughs> Will I have some water, Mr. Gordon? No, no thank you. Ah! Well, what's the matter? Make him swallow the water, Daddy. Well, why do you want to see me swallow water? Because Daddy says you drink like a fish. <laughs> oh. oh, she made that up. She made it up, so help me, Mr. Gordon. I never said anything of the kind. You go upstairs this minute, you little scamp. If he chase me out, I'll spill the soup on Mr. Gordon. Well, I, I must say, Higgins, uh, this little daughter of yours makes eating here a pleasure. You like it, Mr. Gordon? Uh, no, he doesn't like it. Mr. Gordon wants you to leave the room so he can eat in peace. What are you doing? My penny fell under the table. Be careful, Snooks. You're pulling the table. Uh, hey, look out. Snooks, the whole thing's going to... Oh, I think I'll go now. Oh, there's the whole dinner. I wasn't very hungry anyhow. I think I'll go to... Oh, no, just a minute, Mr. Gordon. Uh, please don't leave. We might be able to straighten this out. I... Give him some pie, Daddy. Hmm? Oh, yeah, yes. How about a piece of green apple pie, hmm? Mm -hmm. Here, uh, look at it. Oh, you'll love it. Uh, well, <laughs> all right. Uh, have you a little piece of cheese to go with it? A cheese? Oh, 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 I'm awfully sorry, Mr. Gordon. There isn't a piece of cheese in the house. Uh, Yes, there is, Daddy. I'll go get it. Oh, fine. Phew. I'm terribly sorry about this. That's all right. The uh, child didn't mean it. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Here's a cheese, Mr. Gordon. Oh, thanks, Snooks. Mmm. That's good, too. <laughs> Eat it all. Oh, yes. Well, I will. Mmm. You know, that, that's funny. I, I distinctly remember Mother saying we were out of cheese. Mmm, this is great. <clears throat> I guess you've got sharper eyes than your daddy, eh, Snooks? Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. uh, where did you find that cheese, Snooks? In the mouth, What the heck, you little... <laughs> For second number, Tony Martin and our singing ensemble presents the novelty number, Shadrach. Children from the land of Israel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and they took the trip into the land of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach. 
Jack Bendigo. He took a lot of gold and he made an idol. Shed, rack, me, Shack Bendigo. Oh, oh. And he told everybody when you hear the music of the cornet. And he told everybody when you hear the music of the flute. And he told everybody when you hear the music of the harp. You must fall down and worship the idol Shadrach. Me, Shackabendigo, oh. But the children of Israel would not bow down Shadrach. Me, Shackabendigo, oh. Would he fool with a golden idol Shadrach. Me, Shack of oh. I said you couldn't even fool him with a golden idol, Shadrach. Me, Shack of oh, Shadrach. Me, Shack of So the king put the children in a fiery furnace, Shadrach. Me, Shack of He donned the coals on a red hot brimstone, Shadrach. Me, Shack of oh. Seven times harder, harder than it ought to be. Shadrach, me Shack Bendigo, burned up the soldiers the king had put there. Shadrach, me Shack Bendigo. But the Lord sent an angel with snowy white wings down in the middle of the furnace. Talking to the children about the power of the gospel. Shadrach, me Shack Bendigo. Well, I couldn't even burn a hair on the head of old Shadrach. House Coffee presents the MGM Theater of the Air, where tonight, producer Joseph L. Mankiewicz presents several scenes from his latest picture, The Shining Hour, based on the famous stage success by Keith Winters. The Shining Hour is the story of a fascinating, spectacularly attractive woman and of her marriage into an old and honorable family. The woman, Olivia Riley, played by Joan Crawford, was born Maggie Riley, and has fought her way up from New York's east side to stardom as a dancer in fashionable nightclubs. The man is Henry Linden, played by Melvin Douglas, the head of a family that's been distinguished in America for generations, a family that doesn't relish the prospect of this new marriage. In fact, David Linden, Henry's brother, has flown to New York to protest this marriage. David, played by Robert Young, arrives unannounced at a huge party Olivia is giving to announce her engagement and finds Henry with Olivia at the bar. Hello, Henry. David, hello. What are you doing here? Why didn't you let me know you were coming? Olivia, this is David. How do you do? How do you do? Where are you staying, David? How long are you going to be here? I don't know how long. I came east to talk to you. Oh, well, suppose I go sober up a few of my guests. It was nice meeting you. Thank you. Perhaps I'll see you later. 
Well, now, David, what in the name of Lyndon brings you here? The name of Lyndon, Henry. Oh, very melodramatically put. All right, let's get it over with. I guess the library will be empty. It's the farthest from the bar. Here we are. As soon as I can find the light. Oh! Hey, what's it? Oh, a couple of bookworms. Well, you might give a person a little warning. Come on, Joe. <clears throat> let's find a quiet room. <laughs> Friends of yours? Friends of each other, I hope. Well, what's on your mind? I suppose Hannah asked you to come. She's worried about you. I've never been in better health in my life. She feels if you came home for a while, perhaps your sense of values... Mm-hmm. ...would become her sense of values. Is that it? Your point, or Hannah's, it doesn't make any difference, is that Olivia's not good enough for the Lindens. My point is, there isn't a Linden good enough for her. And as points go, it's a pretty shabby one, Henry. You're no judge of that, David. Perhaps not, but you should be. You've got eyes and ears. Look around you to friends. Listen to what they say. The cream of cafe society. I'll take the village halfway back home. That's enough, David. Why, you're behaving like a naive little schoolboy. We're not being prudes about this, but... Well, after all, why marry? That's enough, David. Henry. Olivia. There's a reporter out there, darling. Will you go tell him how deliriously happy you are? Aren't you coming, too? I've already told him. Well? I'll be back in a moment. I gather you're not drunk with joy over this marriage. I think you're making a mistake. You mean you think Henry's making a mistake? Both of you. You see, I don't think you'd like us much. You mean you wouldn't like me? Why don't you let me decide what I mean by what I say? So I'm to give up Henry because his brother's insufferable and smug. All right, you want it? Here it is. When Henry and I walked in here just now, we interrupted a very romantic couple. Well, you should have called. I was too busy thinking of what would happen if he ever walked in and found you in the same situation. Tell that to the boys behind the barn. That, Miss Riley, is exactly what I mean. So Henry and Olivia are married and fly to Wisconsin to the home of the Lindens. Hannah, the elder sister to David and Henry, makes no effort to conceal her dislike of Olivia. But Judy, David's wife, adores her on sight. Olivia and David are irresistibly drawn to each other. In spite of themselves, they are slowly but certainly yielding to their emotions. This afternoon, they've gone for a horseback ride together. Oh, how beautiful, David. My idea of a swell view was always Central Park from the top of a bus. <laughs> this sort of thing only existed on backdrops and musical comedies. Like it? Like it. Oh, but you're so used to it. You don't know the thrill of suddenly coming up on something so beautiful it takes your breath away. I think I do. I wish Judy had been able to ride with us. I like her. She adores you. I detest women as a rule. I know too much about them, but... David, do you know how lucky you are? Yes, I know exactly how lucky I am. I'm glad. Why should it make any difference to you? Because I want you to be happy. Why? Well, because I... Well, David, let's not get into one of those pointless discussions. I've hardly been civil to you. Why should you want me to be happy? Well, I... Uh, uh, look, David. See the little knoll beside the lake? Yes. We're going to build our home there, Henry and I. You've arrived here hating me. What's made you change? It'll be all the homes I've ever wanted to have rolled into one. Henry and I have compromised on ideas. Everything's to be my way. Olivia. It'll be white. 
and colonial with a big porch facing the lake for me to eat crackly pig on and get fat and, and a huge green lawn that slopes to the water's edge with horseshoe pitching for me and a dainty little tea house for Henry. Stop talking about Henry and you and your rotten little house. David. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I said to you in New York. For even coming to New York. It's all right. I forgave you then. Forgive you now and... A blanket pardon for all future trespasses. Oh, you were right to slap me. I was so smug and complacent. It's all right, sure. David. Let's forget about it. The conviction grows in Judy that David loves Olivia as he's never loved her. She suspects Olivia loves David, too, and she's desperate in her anxiety. Tonight, the Lindens are giving a party to celebrate the new house that Henry and Olivia have built. In the midst of the festivities, Henry comes upon Judy, sitting all alone in a secluded spot. I'm in a gay dancing mood, Judy. Come on, we'll toss off a gavotte. Oh, no, thank you, Henry. Eat? I'm not hungry. Don't tell me you're moonstruck. Yeah. Isn't it awful? An old married woman like... In love with David. Henry, in case you didn't know, I'm in love with David. <laughs> You've told me that at regular intervals ever since you were eight. Have I? Uh, tonight it's, a, it's as if I'd never felt anything before. And when you were 13, you nearly put my eye out for hitting him because he hit you. He was right to hit me. I'd been nasty. Henry, how have I changed? What do you mean, changed? I'm 24 now. What's become of me since then? Well, for one thing, the freckles are gone. You've become lovely to look at. Uh, become. Now, I don't like the word. It sounds so gradual, so unexciting. Don't you want to be exciting, Judy? Yes, more than anything. Why? Oh, so that David might look at me and suddenly know that he loved me. So that he might hear a song and think of me. I'll come into a room I just left and know I'd been there. Judy... Everything's all right, isn't it? Between you and David. Yes, of course, Henry. Truly? Truly, Henry. Everything is exactly as it always has been. Oh, you had me worried there for a moment. Henry, what did you feel when you first saw Olivia, the very first instant? That I loved her. Did you care if she loved you? Mm, at first. Yes, and then? Then nothing mattered very much. Except that I loved her. Mm. And there was nothing you'd ever want more than 
just to have her there for you to love. Mm -hmm. Judy? Oh, she's so beautiful, Henry, so, so exciting. Judy, can you come here a minute? Yeah, coming. I'll be back in a moment, and we'll toss up that kvart. What is it, Hannah? Where's David? He promised to mix the punch. I haven't seen him. Where's Olivia? It happens they're not together, if that's what you mean. Well, I didn't mean anything. Everybody thinks every time I open my mouth lately, I mean something. Well, don't you? I'll go look for David. As the pass, Olivia and David are more strongly drawn to each other. Until finally, Olivia, fearing the possible consequences, persuades Henry to take her away for a while. Judy, in the meantime, has grown increasingly certain that David and Olivia are in love, that they were made for each other. Tonight, she's gone out somewhere by herself. Henry's out, too. And Olivia, in spite of herself, is finally drawn to the living room where David is playing the piano. Olivia. Yes? Why are you and Henry leaving? Frankly, because I'm bored here. Oh. Well, David, must you play that? You liked it once. Well, I'm sick of it now. Quite sick of it. Now you're just being cheap. I am rather cheap. Have you only just realized it? Wait. We mustn't quarrel like oh, this. Oh, yes, we must. And do you know why? Yes, because... Because we're so alike. We're both used to getting everything we want. Oh, we're spoiled, David. And spoiled people come to no good end. Ask Hannah. I'd rather ask you. You were happy before I came. You'll be happy when I've gone away. Do you believe that? I wasn't happy. I was content. I'll never be content again. How can you say that? Because I love you. And you love me, Olivia. Oh, there's Judy. Hello, Judy. Well, this heat is pretty terrific, isn't it? Awful. But you look cool. Do I? I've been up on the ridge. It was lovely there. What made you sweat all that way on a night like this? I felt like it. Where's everybody? Oh, Henry's adding up numbers. I don't know where Hannah is, and I'm going to bed. No, no, don't go yet. I feel like talking. All right. Uh, I've got good news for you, Judy. The foal's been born. Oh, really? Is it a nice one? Yes, a nice little filly, chestnut. That's good. I'd better see the vet before he goes. Oh, don't look so cross about it. David, come here. What's the matter? There's some fuzz on your coat. I, I do wish you'd learn to look after yourself, David. better. Now you can go. Thank you, Judy. David is simply monstrous about his clothes. Olivia, I wish you'd been with me on the ridge. I had the strangest sensation. I felt suddenly that I knew everything. That's always satisfying. Yes, it must be. Well, maybe I didn't know everything, but I knew for certain that everything I did know was right. Absolutely right. What did you know, Judy? Rather more than you tonight. That's quite possible. I don't think I know anything tonight. You're making a big mistake, you know. What do you mean? You know that expression, two people being made for each other? Yes. Of course, it's used pretty indiscriminately. But do you believe that sometimes... 
Very seldom, but sometimes. Two people are made for each other and for no one else. Well, do or don't you? I, I don't know. I should think it happens very seldom. Ah, but when it does, it's more important than people being hurt. It's more important than anything, isn't it? I suppose. But it depends. No, it doesn't. It doesn't depend on anything. Olivia, shall I tell you why I admire you? No, please. I admire you because you're honest with yourself and clear. I'd be an awful pity if you were ever to become blurred and messy. I've got to go now, Judy. No, there's something I want you to do, Olivia. I want you to go away with David. Henry will divorce you. Henry and I are getting out of here tonight. <laughs> and David and I will be happy ever after, I suppose. Of course you will in time, you will. No, that's not true. Olivia, you're going to do what I tell you. You're going to do what I would do. Judy, you don't know what you're saying. I do. Unless you take David with you, there is nothing in the future for any of us. But you love David. And so do you. Oh, no, I don't. And David loves you. It's right. Can't you see? It's complete. Tell me you'll make David happy. Tell me you'll love him for both of us. Please. Oh, Judy, I... Where's Henry and David? The new house is on fire. We've got to find Henry and David. <laughs> The new house. My new house. It's gone, Judy. I've lost it before it was ever mine. John Crawford, Margaret Sullivan, Melvin Douglas, and Robert Young... Congratulations on an excellent performance. Ladies and gentlemen, go see The Shining Hour. You'll thoroughly enjoy it. You're about to hear if men played bridge as women do. But first, Ted Pearson with a swell letter we received from Mr. C.L. Frost, 3928 Monroe Avenue, San Diego, California, who on October the 10th wrote us, quote, I enjoy your fine program and delicious Maxwell House coffee so much that I'm constrained to write this letter. As a young man, I lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and was well acquainted with Joel Cheek, the originator and blender of Maxwell House coffee. Well, much water's passed under the bridge since then, and here I am, past 80, but still drinking Maxwell House coffee. Only it's the new blend now, which I think is even better than ever before. Unquote. Well, thank you, Mr. Frost. Letters like yours more than repay us for the time and trouble it took to perfect the new Maxwell House. And friends, when you try the new Maxwell House... You're going to find it smoother and richer by far, with a wealth of cheery stimulation in every cup. I think you'll agree, it's marvelous, too. It took 12 expert coffee blenders eight months before they found a way to enrich Joel Cheek's original secret blend. Then, too, by roasting each bean evenly all the way through, the radiant roast process brings out more of the true flavor. This way, there's no weak coffee due to under-roasting, no bitter coffee due to parching. And remember... The new Maxwell House comes in two grinds. The regular grind is correct for the percolator or boiled method, while the drip grind is correct for all ways of making drip coffee. Two different coffee-making principles, so naturally two different grinds. Tomorrow, ask your grocer for a pound of the new and improved Maxwell House to try. You'll say that now more than ever, it's the coffee that's good to the last drop. Now, by popular request, we repeat the first one in the series of good news satires, 
If men played cards as women do. Adapted from the sketch written by George S. Kaufman. Frank Morgan is having a few of the boys in to play cards. He's alone in his living room when the doorbell rings. It's Tony Martin. Why, Martin, come in. You're the first one, but the other boys should be here any minute. My, you look stunning. Well, how can you say that? You know I'm a mess. Oh. <laughs> I've been downtown shopping all morning. Yes, and I see you bought yourself a new hat. This one? New? Yes. Oh, you silly boy. What? The same one I had last spring made over. Remember? Oh. I bought it to match my gray tweed formal with the pink organdy lapel. Say, do you mind if I try it on? Of course not. Here. <laughs> there. Now, what do you think? Oh, Morgan, it's positively perky on you. Oh. Makes your face look so much thinner. Oh, thanks. <clears throat> uh, by the way, who is all who all is playing bridge with us this afternoon? Well, now, let's see. First of all, there's uh, Meredith Wilson. Oh, him? What's the matter? Don't you like Wilson? Oh, he talks too much. Talk, 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 talk. Why, he would give an aspirin a headache. Say, tell me, uh, how are he and his wife getting along? Any better? Well, you know me. I don't like to say anything, well, but me, I've always... Well, uh, me well, either, but uh, Morgan, I often wonder what she saw in him, don't you? Why, she worships the very ground his father discovered oil on. <laughs> oh, it's the door. Must be one of the other boys. Well, uh, hello, boys. It's only little me. <laughs> Why, Wilson, I've never seen you looking so young. Martin and I were just saying that you don't look a day older than when we were in college together. Well, say, boys, I just saw Eddie Cantor, and what do you think? Yeah? He says that Bing Crosby told him that Will Brown's wife is going to leave him. Well, you do, for heaven's sake. Well, it's really no surprise to me. If I told you what I know about her... Oh, it's... go on, go oh, on. say, Morgan, who else is going to play cards with us today? Bob Young. Oh, Him. him. Why, what's the matter with Young? I think he's a lovely bridge player. He and I had a couple of the other boys played bridge last week at the Turkish Baths. It was men's night. <laughs> you... You... You played bridge at the Turkish Baths? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. When we got there, we found there was only one masseur between the four of us. So we decided to play bridge to see who'd win the rubber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Morgan, I almost forgot. Yeah? I have a TL for you. Oh, goody, 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 gander. What is it? No, no, no. You have to tell me one first. Well, I won't tell you till you tell me. Now, don't be a meanie. Oh, well. All right. Here it is. Hanley Stafford said you looked lovely in your dinner coat last night. Well, he did. That's huh? nice. <laughs> Say, uh, who is Hanley going with now? Anyone? Yes, anyone. He's he he's been turned down so much he feels like a bed cover. <laughs> uh, oh, that must be young. Hello, man. Oh, hello, hello young. Hello, young. I'm sorry I'm late, but we have a new maid, and you know what that means. Yeah. Tell me, young, how's the baby? Awfully cranky lately, Frank. He's teething. I left oh. him with a nurse. The first time I've had to get out teething, you know how that is. Oh, you bet I do. Say, do we? And the maid and nurse <laughs> yeah. was so busy with the children that I had to fix Betty's breakfast myself this morning. I made a terrible mistake. Mm. I gave her soap flakes instead of post-toasties. <laughs> was she mad? Mad? Why, when I left the house, she was still foaming at the mouth. Well, oh, boys, no. uh, what do you say? Uh, <laughs> what do you say? Shall we play a little bridge? Oh, yes, yeah, sure. Uh, Morgan, can I trouble you for a glass of water? I'll get it myself no. if you'll tell me where. Oh, no, no, no. I'll go out and get it. I want to see how my cake's getting along. <laughs> say, uh, I don't like to say this, because you know me. I never knock anything or anybody, mm. but isn't this room the most atrocious thing you ever saw? Uh-huh. You know, I really wanted to get that glass of water myself. 
I was just dying to see his kitchen. <laughs> Quiet, here he comes back. Here, Wilson, here's your glass of water, nice and cool. Oh, thanks, thanks, scads. Well, we're, we're ready to play bridge. How much will we play for? Oh, what's the difference? How about a 40th of a cent? Well, that's a little high, isn't it? How about an 80th? Well, that suits me. By the way, which is higher, aces or kings? Kings. Now, uh, who bids first? What are these funny little things here, clubs? Say, there's a wonderful sale of nightgowns downtown. Oh, is there? I'll have to go down. Now, come on, boys. Let's play bridge. I bid three hearts. Uh, two spades. Mm-hmm. I bid one club. Well, I'll bid a half of no trump. <laughs> oh, 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 that's for me. I'm expecting a call. Uh-huh. Oh. Hello? Who? Oh, Wilson. It's for you. Really? Well, now, I just wonder who the... Hello? Oh, hello. No. 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 Well, the boys are all here. We'll be right over. What, boys, what, what, guess what? what? Jack, what? Ben, Jack Benny's going to be a father. Well, imagine at his age. <laughs> well, let's go right over and give him a few hints. Maybe we can give him a shower. Sure, that's the right thing to oh, do. Let's go right Ladies and gentlemen, next 30, Gala Thanksgiving Show. America's number one family, the Hardys. In person, Louis Stone, Mickey Rooney... Cecilia Parker, Ann Rutherford, Faye Holder, and Tony Martin, Fanny Bryce, Hanley Stafford, Frank Morgan, Meredith Wilson. Tell your friends and be with us. In the meantime, go to the movies and take the family with you. This is Bob Young saying good night until next Thursday. Attention, good news, friends in Chicago. Freddie Bartholomew will appear in person at the Oriental Theater, Chicago, for one week beginning tomorrow, Friday, November 18th. This is the National Broadcasting Company. This is KFI Los Angeles. Thanks for joining us today for this wonderful podcast celebrating the golden history of Hollywood. Remember that wonderful films that you always wanted to own are now available on DVD and through electronic download through the warnerarchive.com website. Future podcasts await you, so look out for them, and we hope to be with you again soon. Thanks for listening.